Well, today is part two of our series on the mind. I want to title it The Christian Mind. The Christian Mind. And if you missed part one, I really want to encourage you to, do, to go back to our website and listen to the podcast. We talked about the very first thing you need to do when renewing your mind is not believing every thought you get. Every thought you have, because every thought you have is not necessarily from God. We get thoughts from the world. We get thoughts from media. By the way, I am very proud to say this is day four of me not watching a moment of news. And I feel, I, I detoxed. I feel so good. Yeah. I even started, I even started loving Brandon again. <laughs> Love you, brother. No, I said I haven't watched news for like four days, and I'm, I'm, my mind is clear. I've got just no animosity, no nothing, man. Well, I haven't been out. So wonderful, so I want to encourage you the same. <laughs> but it's so important for us to know that not every thought that we have actually comes, is our thought. It comes from the world. The world floods us with thoughts. As a matter of fact, the world views your brain, your mind, as, as the trash heap of society, and they're attempting to just send all the... All the sewage lines of the whole entire world floods into your mind uh, when it comes to the media. So really, sometimes, you know, we did okay with not knowing everything in the past. So um, secondly, you have your flesh that's constantly enticing you towards certain things, bringing thoughts to your mind, trying to get you to obey the flesh instead of the spirit. And then thirdly, what the Bible tells us is that we have, uh, we have the demonic now, the demonic works at a different level. The demonic also oftentimes shares thoughts with us. Like, for instance, the snake came to Eve and, and put a thought in Eve's mind. And, uh, but then also from pulpits oftentimes, the Bible says that they are, there are things called doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. So we have the world flooding our minds with thoughts. We have our flesh flooding our minds with thoughts. We have, we, we have the demonic flooding our minds with thoughts that are not from God, and therefore you do not have to believe every thought you've got. Every thought that comes past your mind is not you. And so we have to realize that understanding the mind is important, and the reasons for teaching on the Christian mind at this time is because it is always the best thing to do in the beginning of a new year. Being reminded of what to do with your mind, how to guard it, how important it is, how impactful it is in your life. The reason we're teaching on the Christian mind is because it's the only option for you and I if we want to be transformed into who God called us to be. Transformation can only happen through a renewed mind. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, now do not be conformed, unto this, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of the mind. Transformation happens in the renewing of the mind. Not psychology, not compartmentalizing everything, not confession where you just lie to yourself in the mirror a hundred times a day until you believe that lie. That's still not conformity. That's pagan worship. That's a pagan way of doing things. Just keep on saying it, saying it, saying it, saying it until you believe it's going to happen or until you believe it. What if it's a lie? You're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. <laughs> I can only see Hitler. You're valuable, you're special, you're precious, you called for a greater calling. <laughs> you know, like, yep. But that's what's going on there. 
Why is it important for us to teach on the mind? It's because it is the only possible way for us to know the will of God. That very verse continues. It says, now, don't be conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How? Why? So that you may know the will of God. So that you may know the will of God. The will of God is known only by the renewed mind, not by the unrenewed mind. So the, the knowledge of the will of God hangs upon what you do with your mind. The knowledge of the will of God rests upon your ability to become a good steward of your own thoughts. Why is it that we're talking about the mind at this time? It's because it's the best thing to do in the beginning of the year. It's the only option for us if we want to be transformed, truly transformed. It is the only possible way for us to know the will of God. And number four, it is the wise thing to do when you are constantly being lied to. Folks, I really want to encourage you, do not underestimate uh, the degree of evil taking place in the world today. Don't underestimate the, the depth of corruption that's happening in the world today. The only possible way for you and I to stay in truth is to have a mind that thinks scriptures. Because everything else, well, let me say it this way. The only, the only place you can find normalcy is this. This is normalcy. The rest is insanity. When I think scripturally, I'm thinking balanced, normal. When I think contrary to scripture, I'm actually, I actually have an insane thought, either given to me by the world, by the flesh, or by the devil. Uh, so, we, it's the only wise thing to do when the world has become completely, when the world decided to defraud an entire generation. So today's goal for me and you is to bring us to a place where we are absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of doubt that our minds matter. Your mind matters. It's actually the most valuable thing you have in this world to oversee. Because we're going to talk in future sessions on the connection between the heart and the mind. And how they influence one another. What the mind is made up out of and what the heart consists of. Right now, society believes that an emotion is the heart. It's like, oh, he broke my heart. Well, that's the only way they can assess or point their heart, point to their heart. But when the Bible talks about a heart, it's, it talks about a much larger idea. And we're going to talk about what the heart is in the future. And so our goal today is to realize the value, the preciousness of the mind. You see, God created you to think. He created you a thinking being. You are a creature with imaginations that can plan and strategize. And this is what makes you different from the animal kingdom. Is they don't have rationale. They don't, they're not reasonable. And they are not held accountable because they're not reasonable. They just respond determined by the nature or their response is determined by the nature now if i had to ask you how did god reveal himself you would say in christ this is true he revealed himself as a thinking human so that he could relate to other thinking humans he is emmanuel god with us but he also revealed himself to us how words he revealed us he revealed himself in words to minds he revealed himself in words to uh, uh, Inwards to minds. This is why your mind matters. 
Your thoughts are so powerful that you can even ascend to the understanding of who God is. Animals don't. You can ascend to what God requires of you. Animals don't. And you are held accountable by God for what He has already communicated to your reasonable, logical understanding. Your thoughts are powerful. And if you understood this, it would help in 2021 that an undisciplined mind, undisciplined thought life, will construct a future you never desire to have. In marriage, in child rearing, how about this, in finances, your undisciplined mind or undisciplined uh, thought life is an accident waiting for a place to happen. It's disappointment looking for a place to happen. But the opposite is also true. A disciplined mind uh, is what a future hangs on that you were hoping for. You see, today's ideas precede tomorrow's outcomes. It's true for everything. Everything that has ever been created in this world by man was preceded by an idea a man first had. Think about it. A book first existed in the author's mind before it was on page. A painting first existed in the, in the artist's mind before it was on canvas. Portraits. Think about a symphony existed in the composer's heart and mind before he went ahead and composed the symphony. All these things first existed in, as an, in idea form before it was realized. Buildings, skyscrapers, cities first existed in the architect's mind before it is now in concrete. Inventions all proceeded first by a thought, by the thought process before realized. Therefore, it's safe to say that all man-made things in this world was subjective before it became objective. This explains the power of thought, the power of an idea, the power of an imagination. You see, even nations, nations rise and nations fall on ideas. History proves the constructive and destructive power of political ideas. From the beginning of time, all forms of government were and still are run by ideas. For instance, uh, specific ideas run tribalism. Specific ideas run anarchy. A specific set of ideas run what we know as socialism or Marxism or communism or democracies. All these stem from certain ideas and ideologies before power is formed, exists to control and oversee and govern people. Thoughts are not just a precursor to these practical things that I just pointed out, which is paintings and symphonies and governments. And, uh, it's not just the practical things that first exist in the mind before they exist in the world. But thoughts aren't just practical, they are also spiritual. Because they have a very definite spiritual impact. When we look at the origin of man's corruption... We see the role thoughts played in corrupting man. When we look at the origin of humanity's corruption, we see how it was a thought that corrupted even humanity. I'm going to show it to you right now. First, let's talk about the individual. In Adam and Eve, we see in the Garden of Eden, a snake came and introduced an idea contrary to God's word. 
God said, don't eat, you'll die. Satan came, hey, by the way, God's lying. It was a thought he put in Eve's mind. Eve ran with it. She believed it. She acted it out. She gave it to Adam. He did the same, and humanity was corrupted. Thorns grew everywhere. Flowers, you know, gardens. Uh, you had to actually now build a garden to have one. Animals were now killing each other. Man started aging. Everything came apart, and you can boil it down to a thought she had that wasn't from God. This is true for you and for I in 2021. But what exactly happened when Adam and Eve decided to disobey God? It's actually the answer to that question is found in the command that God gave him. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, it says, From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat. From the tree of the what? The knowledge, the knowledge of both good and evil. You see, they only knew everything good. They knew God, and all things good came from God. They only knew purity, and evil was introduced. Why? When they took from this tree that they shouldn't have. Their disobedience introduced them to the knowledge of evil. It's an illegal knowledge, an unlawful knowledge God didn't want for them to have. I actually took my son and daughter out of public school for this specific reason. And whatever your conviction is, is fine. Whatever your opportunities or your abilities are to do is fine. But... When I started looking at the curriculums and I thought, well, you know what, there's a, there's a lot of stuff here that's, that's not the knowledge of, that's contrary to the knowledge of Scripture. And I thought of it this way, how do you protect somebody's purity? What you would have to do is you would have to buy an island. And you would have to go and let your kids grow up on this island and never know anybody without internet or anything, right? Protect them from evil. Well, that's one way, but it's not a logical way. There's another way to protect somebody from evil, and that is making sure that when they are introduced to the evil of this world, let's say, for instance, the a-woman evil. Okay, so uh, that isn't something you're going to keep from people. That insanity or that insane thought, you're not going to keep from your kids, right? That whole ideology, that feminism, you can't keep it from them knowing about it. But what you can do is make sure you're the one introducing it to them. See this thought, son? This thought is completely insane because this is what God says. And this is right, and that's an insane thought. So now they're introduced to it, but they're introduced to it as being anti-scriptural, not truth. Whereas the opposite is uh, when somebody else introduces them to that ideology as a truth, well, now there's a problem. They have to know about what's going on in the world, but it's going to have to be somebody sharing them that knowledge of evil from a scriptural perspective in order to keep them pure. That's why parents, you know, they spend uh, tens of thousands of dollars, and they have. It's probably going to come to an end, but they spend tens of thousands of dollars sending their kid for an education only for him to come back with an ideology completely contrary to God. Completely contrary to God. So we have to decide how, what extremes we are going to go to in order to protect the most valuable thing we have and our children have and our families and loved ones have. I have to go to an extreme uh, um, place 
making sure that us as a church family know how to renew our minds, how to protect and guard our thoughts so that we can remain undefrauded, undeceived, not deceived, knowing the truth, be renewed, therefore being transformed, therefore knowing the will of God, therefore walking in the wisdom of God with complete sobriety. And this is our effort in this series. You see, the moment they received wrong ideas in the garden or corrupted thoughts and evil imaginations, they fell from their position with God. They fell from intimacy with God. That still happens today where people experience a distance between them and God because of the thought life that they, that they now have. You see, their sin allowed them, or that tree that is planted in the middle of the garden, to strike at their minds, Adam and Eve's minds, introducing corrupting knowledge, perverted knowledge, evil ideas, unscriptural thoughts, still war against God in your and my life today. Perverted knowledge, evil ideas, unscriptural thoughts, still war against God in our children's minds today. And then a parent goes, I don't know what happened. My son became so rebellious. Oh, we can trace that thing back down, right? Where did those thoughts come from? Because it's the thoughts that are having, that are having, they're warring against God. Those thoughts either came from the world, tra- using their minds as a trash can from their flesh, or from the devil attempting to fill their thoughts with doctrines of demons. <clears throat> we have to know where the thought comes from as we deal with it. You see, um, I remember going to Europe when I was um, sub- substitute conducted to a choir in South Africa, and I was in high school at the time. South Africa had no pornography at all, and it was illegal at the time. It was the old South Africa. They would actually imprison you if they found that on you. Actually, we didn't know that that kind of thing existed at all. And I remember going to Europe, and we were walking in line. There was about, about 80 to 100 of us going through France and Germany and all the places. And I think it was in Portugal where we walked past this uh, kiosk where all these magazines were. And it was illicit magazines. And, and I remember seeing the pictures on the covers of those magazines. And they, those magazines are usually covered in plastic, right? You can't page through the thing. And um, we just walked past it, and every single one of us were just shocked that there was such a thing as pornography. Didn't know it existed. But what that did to my mind, as an 18-year-old boy, are boys, are 18-year-olds still boys? What that did to my mind, 17-year-old, I can forget, <laughs> uh, uh, remained. And it had an effect in me. And as much as you knew that, oh, God, I, what's wrong with me? You go like, God, why, do I, why am I so attracted to you? And so you think, like, what, what happened to me? And I, and I gathered I must be possessed, possessed by the demon of lust. And so I remember going back to church after that, that tour, and the pastor was speaking about being delivered. 
I'm like, oh, my hands are sweating. I'm shaking. I'm so nervous. And I got a demon. What am I going to do? You know? And so he says at the end, we're going to just close the service. And if anybody needs deliverance, come forward and we pray for you all. You know? And I was in a holy roller church. You know those holy rollers? And uh, people were getting delivered all, every, every week. and every th- So anyhow, I go to the front and there were a couple of pastors. And I stood in this line where the Pastor Vernon Fisser was. I remember him clearly. And my mom knows Pastor Vernon Fisser. What a nice man. I came to the front, and he says, yes, boy, son, what, what do you want? And I said, Pastor, I'm so, so nervous. And I said, I, I, I'm possessed with the devil. And he goes, really? Which one? I'm like, I don't know. I think it's the devil of lust. He goes, really? Mm. Demon of lust. He goes, okay, well. And then he says, I'm going to pray for you. If it comes out, it comes out. If it doesn't, it's not a demon. It's something else. And then I'll explain to you what it is. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's a demon. He goes, okay, raise your hands. Raise my hands. He prayed for me. After he said, amen, I opened my one eye. I'm like, I'm still here. I thought I was going to be on the floor like a snake, you know. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and afterwards, I said, I'm still here. He goes, it's not a demon. I'm like, it's got to be something. He says, it's the flesh. It's your flesh. And so we have to learn where the thoughts come from that we have. So it's the flesh. We're not casting out, you know, casting out the devil when in fact it's your TV screen. Casting out the devil when in fact it's your computer. Casting out the devil when in fact it's your flesh. And so we have to understand that, again, you know, Corrupted ideas, twisted mindsets, and perverted knowledge are all undeniably spiritual by nature and will always have spiritual consequences. So yes, it's spiritual because it has spiritual consequences. So what were the consequences for having sinned and for having corrupted Adam and Eve's mind? Well, let's list them. Number one, they were expelled from paradise. Pretty horrible consequence. Number two, they lost their purpose, their original purpose, which was to oversee the very garden they were now expelled from. Number three, they fell from their relationship with God. Number four, they were filled with shame and guilt. They used to be driven by purity and love. Now they're driven by shame and guilt or oppressed by it. And now, number five, they live under the curse They were made to live forever. They weren't going to age. Now suddenly their bodies were wearing out and eventually they had to die. So our conclusion here is that thoughts, knowledge, imaginations and mindsets are in fact spiritual and have spiritual consequences. Not only is it natural where you can go and have an idea of how to build a building and have an idea how to build a company and have an idea how to paint a painting and and then turn turn subjective thoughts into objects, but also your mind is powerful because it is spiritual. Now, let's consider the corruption of mankind as a whole. See, every time God finished something after creating it, He said, and it was good. He created the stars and the sun and said, it was good. He created the earth and He said, it was good. Everything God ever created in the universe, He said, it was good. Then He created man and He says, Genesis 1.31, it was very good. As an artist, he stands in front of his creation and he says, it's very good. But then, he had a change of mind, a change of heart. 
a change of attitude toward his creation. And the question that I wanted to know is what offended God to such a degree that he would repent from ever creating everything that he originally called good and very good? What offended him to the point where he wanted to repent from it, but not just repent from it, he wanted to also destroy it, and so he did with a flood. And the only ones that, was, that survived is Noah and his family. What caused God to come to this point? The answer to that question is found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. Every imagination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. Only evil continually. Man, man was totally depraved, radically corrupted, and God said, that's it. The wickedness of man caused what God used to, what God originally saw as very good, now as something God's repenting from, ever creating. So we conclude that our thoughts and our imaginations are undeniably, categorically spiritual. And our thoughts without question have spiritual consequences and consequences in this life. You see, the thoughts you have today are instrumental in constructing the world that you will live in tomorrow. The thoughts that you love to cultivate today in your mind determines the experience you're going to have tomorrow and the rest of your life. Do you realize that the thoughts that I have about my wife is what determines my level of affection toward her? And I have to say this because I want to bring it into a relational context. Your thoughts are practical, logical. Your thoughts are spiritual with spiritual outcomes and consequences. But your thoughts are also relational. The, the, my, level of, my level of affection towards Tina has to do with the thoughts that I have about her. This is so key to understand because m many people come to a place where they go like, yeah, we just fell out of love, man. We just don't love each other anymore. There's nothing. There's no affection, no nothing. Well, that doesn't, that outcome speaks of a root. You see, the thought was the seed to the inevitable outcome. If you're planting a tomato seed, then you are going to reap tomatoes. Same thing. Ah, gotcha. You know, the seed you plant determines the inevitable outcome and the inevitable fruit that you're going to have. So what people do is they are completely taken by another person because of the chemicals, which don't last, because of the emotions that will change. And then what they do is they actually make decisions based on chemicals and feelings and emotions, and they don't know how to keep that going. And then they come to a place of saying, yeah, well, we just fell out of love. There's not, no affection between us. It's because of the thoughts. If you are going to wrap your thoughts around that person's, your spouse's downsides all day long and feed those thoughts, eventually you're going to resent your spouse, let alone be affectionate toward them. But if you have a disciplined mind as a married person and you wrap your mind around that spouse's upsides and you go like, man, she is beautiful. She was beautiful. She still is beautiful. Wow, she has a heart of gold. Wow, she's precious. My goodness, look at how thoughtful she is. Look at how diligent she is. Look at her kindness. Oh, God, has she forgiven me? Oh, look, look at just all the things that she has done. 
and you just think about the all, all the upsides and you wrap your mind around that and you don't allow your mind to be distracted by another and somebody else's upsides, your affection will be for that person. You see, and so we ask, well, how do you, how do you um, stay in love in marriage? That's how you stay in love in marriage. <laughs> that's how you stay in love. And that's how you, if you're married, fall in love with somebody else. It happens in the mind. Your mind isn't just practical or spiritual. Your mind is relational. It has an effect upon every part of who you are. Your heart, nah, we keep going. And I, I hope this doesn't shock you too much. <laughs> uh, so there is a value. There is a value in what ancient cultures and even Judaism used to call arranged marriages, right? There is a value in that because they basically eliminated all the basis for choosing another person, the, the, the changing basis. Like, for instance, chemicals change, and so they eliminated that one. Uh, emotions change, so they eliminated that one, which works well, a good decision. That one there can actually ultimately work. Instead of making a decision based on chemicals or feelings, uh, making, a de making a decision based on, um, well, these, these two upsides and downsides, can, the downsides can be tolerated, the upsides can be celebrated, good, this is a great couple now, what date, what date do you want us to do this thing? Okay, good. Okay, yeah, you know, you two, you two are getting together. You see, Abraham did that, he sent his son Eliezer, or excuse me, his servant Eliezer out, and uh, he said, Eliezer, go and find my son Isaac, a wife, Eliezer went out and he found a wonderful young lady. He went to the lady's dad and he says, Sir, I want my, husband, my master's son. Uh, he wants him to be married. And um, we're choosing your daughter. And the father said, go and ask her. And she happened to say yes. Huh? And therefore they went and got married. And now they are learning to love each other. And that's what marriage is all about, learning to love each other. But you have to learn to stay in love with your children. You have to learn to stay in love with your neighbor. You have to learn to stay in love with your family. For heaven's sakes, how difficult is that? To learn to stay in love with your family. Somebody said, God gave you a family to prepare you for your enemies. Because sometimes, you know, the amount of argument that happens there, especially after an election, is just, it's just horrible, right? So, my point is that... God gave you a mind that is practical. God gave you a mind that's also spiritual, but it's also relational. And so it's good to maybe tell your, your five-year-old, seven-year-old daughter and your, and, your, and your little oldest, you know, your son, because they, they grow up in different stages, right? They go into different stages. And then your 16-year-old. So, hey, listen, listen, boy, you know, um, one day, I'll, I will tell you who, okay? <laughs> and then that you guys can say yes or no. But um, one day, that day will come, and then you can wrap your mind around that, that lady's upsides, you know, and her good, good points, and, you can, and that will cause you to become affectionate. But until then, you don't have to actually think about anything. All you have to think about is schoolwork and how to love the Lord and how to obey your dad and mom, okay? <laughs> That's all you have to think about. Got it? Good. Take notes? <laughs> Kids, kids, uh, you can't wait. All right, so the truth is you do not place your affections on somebody because you did not think about them. No, um, 
It is exactly because you have been thinking about them that you have affections for them. You couldn't love anybody without first knowing them. You can't love outside of knowledge. It's because I got to know somebody like, whoa, man, I love that person, right? It's impossible for you to love somebody you don't even know if, if they exist. How are you going to love them? No, you have to know. You have to have a certain amount of details in order to become affectionate towards them. And that's why we have the Word of God. Because the more we know about who He is, how He works, His grace, His mercy, His goodness, His kindness, His gentleness, He's so forgiving, the more we get to know God and His grace, the, more, the, the greater ability we have to actually fall in love with Him and place our affections upon who He is. The knowledge of God. And you know what? This anti-intellectualism that went through the church over the last generation really needs to come to an end. Because it's not just about feeling. It's about knowing God so that you can have a feeling. Right? It's about being actually being educated on scriptures. Being educated in theology and in the doctrine of the Word of God. And that's why we're making such a huge effort towards Wednesday nights, midweek services. Wednesday night, excuse me, midweek Bible school. All right, so that simply, that simply tells me that when I look at my mind being practical, my mind being spiritual, my mind being relational, I realize that my mind is therefore the game changer in love and in life. In love and in life. Why do you think the Bible commands us in Luke chapter 10 verse 27 to love the Lord your God with all of your strength, with all of your soul, with all of your heart, and with all of your mind, with all of your mind, because it is not possible to love God completely if you're not loving God with your mind also. So to sum it up, thoughts are practical, logical, spiritual, but also relational. Somebody might say, hey Jacques, I think you are putting way too much value on the mind. Because... I can have an evil thought and nobody would even know it. I can have an evil thought and harm no one. I can have an evil thought. You will find no evidence of the crime. You will have no victim and it will be private only to you. Because really, I kind of like every now and then when I turn on the news, I do have to have an evil thought just to kind of calm myself down. <laughs> you know, like that pig with that nice and washed down and with a bow and scent, and he sees the puddle of mud, he just needs to run there and roll in it a little bit. And so that's what we do sometimes. We have to go to the internet to find the stuff that makes us hate and resent and get angry. So somebody says, you know, even if I have a thought, my thoughts didn't hurt anybody. That means no crime, no victim, no worries, right? So what I want to do now is I want to just show you four reasons as to why your thoughts are more important and consequential than you probably realize. Your thoughts are more important and uh, more uh, consequential than you probably realize. And number one is that thoughts can prevent us from being transformed, as we've learned, and can hinder us from knowing the will of God. Again, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may know the will of God. In future sessions, we are going to be talking about that verse, and we're going to pull out, exegete that verse, pull out all the grammatical understandings of that verse so that we can discover the author's original intent. We're going to also discuss what does it mean by the will of God. Today, 
in, in, the, in Christendom where this anti-intellectual uh, undercurrent has been flowing, where everybody goes to church to feel but never to learn, where everybody goes like, yeah, I don't want to feel like I sat down and, and, and studied doctrine. I just want you to give me a bump for this week. I heard a pastor in, in Texas say, well, you know, my job is just to give everybody a little push every week. You know, I just want to encourage them once a week. That's all I want to do. That's my calling. No, it's not. Because there's no transformation in that. There's no actual salvific grace in that. It's got nothing to do with how God deals with us, and it's not the will of God. So what we want to do is we're going to take this verse, and we're going to exegete that verse, and we're going to learn exactly what was referred to when it says, and you will know the very will of God. But that's for a future time. So first we know that thoughts can prevent us from being, from being transformed, and it can hinder us from knowing God's will. Secondly, the wrong thoughts have the power to defile you and me. How are we defiled through our thought life? The Bible says that in Matthew 15, verse 19. It says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. I want to show you something. A verse we looked at a little earlier in Genesis 6, verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Where did those thoughts come from? Heart. Now we're reading in Matthew 15, verse 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Again, here we see very clearly that your mind, your mind is informed by your heart. Your heart informs your mind. Your heart speaks to your mind, gives its thoughts. It says, and do not be, con excuse me, it says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Evil thoughts spring from a heart. Now, I'll just throw this out there. The first, most basic level of mind renewal is, in fact, having a new heart that informs your mind differently. If you have an unregenerate heart, it'll fill your mind with lies. If you have a regenerate heart, it'll fill your mind with truths. If you have, an, if you have a heart of stone... It'll fill your mind with lusts and it'll fill your mind with, with perverseness and it'll fill your mind with crooked things. If a person's mind cannot but be filled with things that are crooked and perverse all the time, it is because it flows from their unregenerate, unsaved heart of stone. The world is supposed to say a woman. The world is supposed to run off the edge of a cliff. At every, uh, uh, in every day. I mean, the world is supposed to act like that, all right? Because their unregenerate heart of stone informs their unrenewed minds. But then, when a person gets touched by God, changed by God completely, he gives them the heart of flesh. This is a new covenant. I'll take out the heart of stone, and I'll put in a heart of flesh that has a conscience, which is part of the heart. We'll, teach, we'll look at that in the future. But that heart now informs your mind about something else called truth. How many of you ever experienced this? You were unsaved. And one day, God did something. 
and your heart was new. You were born again. And you felt like, God, I just want to thank you. You go, you sit in a church for the first time. They open up the Bible and they start reading. And you go, yeah, that's true. That is true. Why did this suddenly become true for the person who's now born again, when in fact, his whole life when he was unsaved, he couldn't stand listening to this. It was all just stories and opinions, and it was ancient and outdated. And everything. Now that he's born again, he goes like, wow, that's true. Why? Because his heart informs him of truth. And when he hears it, he agrees with it. That's why he goes, amen, in the back. When he hears the truth. That's why you're sitting in your seat and you're going like, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's what I've always believed. No, it's not. It's your new heart has always believed that. <laughs> right? <laughs> so the bottom level of a renewed mind is a regenerate heart. So we see right here in Matthew 15 verse 19 that thoughts come from our hearts. Then it lists these thoughts. It says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts and lists them. He says, murders Come from where? The heart, those thoughts. Acts of adultery come from the heart. Other immoral sexual acts come from the heart. Thefts come from the heart. False testimonies come from the heart. Slanderous statements. These are the things that defile the person. The evil thoughts that come from your crooked heart defiles you. But then it says, but to eat with unwashed hands, even in 2021, does not defile the person. You see, they had these cleanliness laws, right? And uh, so it's part of Moses' law with cleanliness laws because God was interested in keeping the children of Israel um, healthy. He says, but Jews, those of you that live by these laws, eating with dirty hands don't defile you. What defiles you is when these evil thoughts spring from your heart and fill your mind. Now you're defiled. So here are some of the reasons I'm listing why our thoughts are more important than we, and consequential than we probably think is because our thoughts prevent us from being transformed. Our thoughts can hinder us from knowing God's will. Our thoughts have the power to defile us. Number four, ungodly thoughts are the cause of rebellion against God. Ungodly thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive that rises up against the knowledge of God and we bring them down, it says. Now, to put that in context, remember, it's talking about the Apostle Paul. He was, he was debating unregenerate individuals and he was proving to them that this man, Jesus, fits the profile of all Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah. Jesus is the one the prophets spoke of. And they try to argue, and he was saying, well, let me take that argument, I'll pull it down by giving you another scripture out of the Bible. And I'll take that argument and I'll pull that thought down by giving you another scripture. So Paul was pulling down all these thoughts that, that were, came up against God's knowledge. 
So we can put ourselves in that crowd and we, can let's, and we can bow our knees and say, okay, Paul, you keep talking to us and every thought that doesn't line up with scriptures, we'll pull down. But you see, the person that does not do that, he drifts. And this right here is how a person drifts. They go to class, they go to school, they go to college, they go to their friend's house, they go to their unsafe family, they go to a church that preaches not the gospel, they go uh, to the world, they turn on the news, they turn on the TV, they listen to their flesh, they do all these things, they, they take the thoughts that come from everywhere and from the evil heart, and they grab onto that thought, and that thought rebels against God's thoughts. And it rebels against God's thoughts. And that's how a person drifts and then ultimately ends up being rebellious. That's how a parent goes like, how did my, how did my child become so rebellious? Allowing thoughts contrary to God's thoughts to grow in their minds. Number five, thoughts drive us to acts. Thoughts become acts. Think about this. Jesus was speaking, and he was saying, now, in the Old Testament, you were taught that if you did something, you were guilty of it. But I tell you different. I say if it's in your heart and in your mind, you're already guilty of that sin. Because thoughts become actions. As a matter of fact, to think is to act. A thought is an action. So to take that thought that's contrary to God's command and allow it to keep spinning and flowing and running in your mind and growing and snowballing in your mind, that is you practicing that act in thought form. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you only lust... You're guilty of adultery. Why? Because Jesus knew that the thought was the seed of the same tree called adultery. It was the act in seed form. Okay, so you get that. He said, if you have anger towards your brother, it is like you've already committed murder because those sinful or those sins not... Uh, those sins, now let me, I'm trying to think of how to say it. Because those sins started in, in the thought, not in the act. Okay, you get it. You would never get to the place of acting out adultery if you didn't first play it out in your mind. A person would never come to a place of murdering somebody else if hatred didn't first fester in their mind and their heart towards that person. And so you and I need to realize that thoughts prevent us from changing, transforming, knowing God's will. Thoughts are what defiles us, ungodly thoughts. Ungodly thoughts cause us to become rebellious and drift, drift and then become rebellious. And thoughts drive us to acts. And thoughts in God's economy is part of the act. And that's if we play with it instead of reject it. Now, I'm going to stop here today, and we're going to continue with this next time we have a session on, this, on the mind series. 
And in the rest of this series, The Mind of the Christian, we will look at very important issues. We're going to continue developing the idea of the difference or the heart-mind connection. What is the mind? Everybody knows what the mind is. You can count with the mind. You can do math with the mind. You can make decisions with the mind. You can think through something with the mind. But the heart is sometimes a little confusing, and we want to talk about what the heart really is and how the heart influences the mind, how the mind influences the heart. We're going to talk about what it is to, um, to renew your mind. And let me just say this today, though. To renew your mind does not mean you're exchanging a negative thought with a positive thought. It's not you saying, well, I have this negative thought, so I should think positively. That is not how you renew your mind. Renewing your mind is not exchanging a thought of hate with a thought of love. It's not exchanging a thought of fear with a thought of faith. That's not how you renew your mind. And that is the predominant way people explain it. Um, But we're going to look at the three levels of mind renewal. And we will see what that means. But the first is the heart level, second is the spirit level, third is the mind level. And then we're going to discover the cause and the cure of a depraved mind. A depraved mind is when somebody's mind makes what is evil good and calls what is good evil. They exchange good and evil. That's a depraved mind. We're going to talk about the cause of it and the cure for it. And then we're going to talk about the root of today's illogical and insane perspectives that society has. How did it happen? Have you ever asked yourself the question? How did so many people have such a radically insane perspective on certain issues? And we're going to talk about the root of that illogical and insane perspective that the world has today. And uh, with that, we're going to close. I hope you got something out of the word this morning. Amen.